Welcome back to the Smart Driving Cars podcast. Thanks for taking the time with us. This edition is sponsored by the Smart ETFs, Smart Transportation and Technology ETF, symbol MOTO. For more information, head to MOTOETF.com. Technical support is provided by CARTS, the Corporation for Automated Road Transportation Safety, a 501c3 nonprofit dedicated to safe and high-quality mobility for all. I'm Fred Fishkin, along with the Faculty Chair of Autonomous Vehicle Engineering at Princeton University, Alan Kornhauser. Hi, Alan. Hey, good morning, Fred. Good morning. And with us from Sweden, where it is not morning, we're happy to welcome back consultant and editor of The Dispatcher, Michael Senna. Hi, Michael. Hello, Fred. Hello, Alan. Great to be here with you again. Yes, and it looks like it's very sunny and bright in Sweden. Well, it's uh, it's five thirty-five here, but uh, it's we're still getting late into the night when we still have light. So, uh, yeah, well, it's still I mean, very don't light you have here. light until about ten o'clock? It is just the you know uh, the end of July, right? Right, right now it's about the end of around ten o'clock. Yeah, yeah, no, no. that's not bad. Okay, yeah. <laughs> uh, wait a couple months. Um, <laughs> never mind. <laughs> there is an August edition of the Dispatcher. And we didn't anticipate there would be, <laughs> Michael. Neither, you neither to, did you I. Yeah. Change some plans around, right? Yeah, I had uh, the the plan was this was going to be the end of a two week trip that included a week in in the U.S. visiting friends and getting ready for a trip up to Canada to fish with a, a group that I have been fishing with now for forty five years. Whoa! <laughs> yeah, and going back to a place that we had fished between 1986 and 1996 in Labrador, Ooh. but uh, I made a little a little uh, short weekend vacation with my wife to Oslo, and when I came back, I tested positive to COVID, and since I was uh, supposed to leave on a flight two days later, and I was in the middle of COVID, I had to cancel the the flight and the trip. And so I got to spend two weeks of doing other stuff. Hopefully they all caught fish. And I hope you've recovered fully. Yes. From- yeah, it was, uh, I've, you know, I've got four vaccinations and the, um, the COVID was the, the latest version with a very heavy sore throat for three, three days, sniffling for four or five days. And then, uh, yeah, so it's gone. Thank you. Thank you. Well, I'm glad that you're healthy and so on. Um, and uh, Alan, your shoulder uh, surgery recuperation seems to be going well there from the looks of things. Well, uh, don't tell my doctor because I'm supposed <laughs> to have my sling on. But I mean, really, they expect me to wear that thing for six weeks. Are you kidding? Um, anyway, whatever. Um, I'm not a very good patient. So not not a patient patient i guess i'm not a patient <laughs> that's a good way to put it uh, well turning yeah, to it, the it does feel pretty good and so but well, that's good. but i still haven't lifted my elbow okay <laughs> and you can't drive yet right i'm not supposed to drive yet <laughs> two different things aren't they yeah no god <laughs> okay you're well, terrible the- fred Sorry about that. The the lead story in the August edition of The Dispatcher is headlined Mobility Implications of America's Anti-City Legacy, Different Shades of Urban, Part 2. Maybe to start, Michael, you can give us an overview. This is a continuation of uh, something that you started writing about in the spring. Yeah, late late spring. Uh, the uh, 
the article in the late spring was how the difference the difference between the uh, European primarily European cities and the and the US American cities and and how it developed how how you know America got started in the in the 1600s when the first wave of of um, folks came over from uh, mostly from Europe there were folks and, already over here that had cities. Correct? I'm not going to. We, 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 I'm not going to go. We shan't talk about them, right? Because it is not pretty. To that it discussion. is not pretty. Okay, no, go I'm ahead. Go. I'm not going to have that discussion. Yes. Um, they um, the the cities that they had were were of a different type, and the cities that evolved and developed uh, when the first settlers from Europe came over and began to to create cities were of a very different sort than those that had existed in, in, uh, in Europe for a few thousand, mostly for a few thousand years. So that was that article. And then I, I had a, a, few, uh, a few of the readers said, well, that's, that's fine, but what does that actually mean? What's, what, is, what, what, is the, what are the implications of how the cities look and work function in the United States compared with those in Europe? And what, what does that have to do with mobility? Are there, are there really significant differences that affect the kind of transport mobility that, that the cities can provide? Um, and I said to them, yes, there are, and I'll take that up in the next, one of the coming issues. And so I decided that, that August would be that issue. Um, in brief, to summarize the first article, the cities that we created in the United States, except for two, perhaps three, being New York, Boston, and Washington, DC, all developed in a way that brought the country in. They were not high density urban developments, either that started as fortresses and then expanded as many of the, of the medieval cities in, in, uh, in Europe, or which started as, as trading towns with a, a very dense core and then expanded beyond that into regions like London and Paris and many of the other, uh, many of the other cities. There are cities that, that we recognize because we, we grew up in them. You know, we, I grew up in a, in a single family house on a piece of land and I can look across the polluted river and two sets of tracks and the, and the gas the gas works to the center of the city, which was only about a um, quarter of a mile away as the crow flies. Um, and that it's not at all unusual. Scranton, Pennsylvania, Trenton, Trenton, New Jersey, many of the cities that we that we see today still look the same way as they looked when they were developed in the late 1800s and the early 19, 1900s. And what I, what I tried to do, and I hope I did, um, in this article is to relate the, the size and the density, the two, the two factors which I've seen, I see as the, as the primary uh, functions of, of what make for a city which can provide mass transit or public transit. Um, most of our cities in the United States do not have 
any degree of density which would provide for a, for a functioning transit system, as do many of the cities in Europe. So if you compare the cities, Brussels, Stockholm, um, Paris, London, etc., the density of those cities provide for a, a, a mass of people who are capable of riding primarily buses, but also underground systems like the like the London Underground, the Paris under Paris Metro, the Stockholm Tunnelbana. Um, and those the buses and the underground systems and the rail systems work together. They function as a as a as a team. The buses lead to the places where they need to, people need to get to in order to get to further places. This is very different from the pattern that developed in the in the US cities where there was a core from the core there were lines that that spread out that provided for places that people could live to get away from the stench of the the slaughterhouses or the stench of the of the the uh, sulfur burning in uh, in comb dumps and from uh, from coal mining and then the development that occurred as a result of that building in the areas around that so I guess that the main point of the of the article is to is at least try to to get people to start to to accept the fact maybe they haven't thought about it before but accept the fact that the United States isn't it isn't Germany it isn't Sweden it isn't the 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 UK it is in the in the forms of the cities and the way the cities have developed a single family double duplexes low densities we don't have in the United States the same preconditions to provide for a functioning bus transit system in particular, and certainly not for light rail systems that people have decided they can get money for it and build in order to, to move people around. Um, yeah. That's that's what the point of the article is. And you've, well, you've, you've read it, so what do you sure. think? Did, well, you're pointing the out point? that these, that with few exceptions, these bus and, and rail systems haven't worked. And then you go further, and so you're 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 advocating really a newer form of mobility, the kinds of things that we've talked about here. Yeah, well, it's not new. I mean, the fact is that we we've mixed up the 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 cars working very well in in American cities with cars caused all of the problems that they have with public transport. And now we have to solve those problems by pushing public transport back into these cities and getting the cars out of there. That is such, that's the kind of thinking we've got to get away from because the cities aren't gonna change. I mean, I gave the example of, if you wanna build a city that is that where public transport can work, then, build it from, from scratch so that there is a density, that the public transport buses and, and, and rail can work together and people can move around. But you don't do that by having you know, 500 people per, per square mile or 2000 people per square mile. You need the densities that, that exist. Well, they exist in Boston, they exist in, in New York, three times Boston or so. They exist in, in Washington, DC. But those cities are older and they were built to a certain extent to provide that kind of density. You know, Washington is, is really enclosed. It, 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 it's rather high density, even though the large majority of the houses look like 
any street in Scranton or Trenton. But the houses are much more, they're closer together. There are lots of places where there isn't a garage. There isn't a, a, a driveway, like my nephew's house that I, I've shown in the, in the example there. Um, but as you go to all of these other cities, Phoenix, Los Angeles, the densities in those cities is just too low to provide for a solution that isn't related and isn't based on individual transport. But we, that doesn't necessarily mean that we have everybody driving around in their own cars, although the majority of people will continue to do that because it works for them and it works for everybody else. But there are, as we've, as we've discussed many times, there are lots of folks who don't, who can't afford it, who don't have the possibility of having a car, but they're living in those cities and they need to get to where they need to get to. And the, that individual transport, and it's what we're proposing in the, the Trenton Moves project where it's not buses, you know, it's not buses with 60 or 80 people running around empty. It's, it's cars that are able to pick people up or vehicles, small vehicles that are able to pick people up and take them where they need to go on a demand basis and to do that efficiently and at much less cost than, it, than today's transit systems, particularly those that are being built based on, on, uh, on rail. It's it's even more than that. I think I think in you know what we propose for Trenton is that the vehicles sit around and wait for people to show up and then take them, as as you know as opposed to necessarily coming to pick them up right where they are. Um, uh, to me, that's that's kind of what my car does for me. It sits around and waits for me. I like to say it's sitting around like a little puppy dog just waiting for me to use it. Sure. I, I, it that is just such an enormous um, value concept, service concept to me, because anytime I want it, sure, it happens to be right, right outside my kitchen door. But even if it was a block and a half away, I can just walk a block or whatever away, hop in and go, it, it, you know. People are tired of me saying that the elevator analogy is is the is the analogy, but it's just the way an elevator is used in the building. You know, you go in the front door and you go find the elevator bank, and either one's sitting there like a little puppy dog waiting to take you to where you want to go, or one comes soon. And and this and and this this kind of mobility, this is the mobility that's that it's that it's offered me as an individual and offered people. When, when one looks at real travel demand and so on, it's all about people wanting to go from a location to a location at a certain time. And it turns out that we're all different and, and that is an enormously diffuse distribution. And unless you coalesce a lot of people and have few places for them to go, then the kinds of systems, conventional systems that have been laid out there with a line with a few pearls of stops you know then that works well but but that assumes that that around those pearls everything is kind of concentrated and between them there's nothing and unfortunately or fortunately those that have owned the land between those pearls have decided hey you know um, come buy this land and do something with it. And, and, and the marketplace has responded and, and built and, and not just built around them. 
I mean, we supposedly have transit-oriented development around the Princeton Junction train station in West Windsor. They're building like townhouses and so on, enough concentration that would really allow uh, for, you know, Trenton train station or, or Trenton, the, the Princeton Junction train station to work really well. Unfortunately, between the housing and the train station, guess what there is? Huge parking lots. I mean, really, somebody's going to go, you know, get a condo there and then have to walk across parking lots to go take the choo-choo. I mean, what are we trying to do, insult them? Guess what they're going to do? They're going to go down to Tesla dealer, buy a Tesla, and who? And then think they're saving the world by, by owning a Tesla because they're, they're, they're environmentally conscious. Who? I mean, you know, it's like goofy. Why isn't the parking, why isn't the housing, if you're going to do this right around the train station, put the parking lots, who? Let them go, you know, out in hinterland. It's not what we've done. Apparently, it's not within so-called transit-oriented development. And if we don't even do that, I mean, we don't have a chance. We don't have a chance. We're the, in the first article, I, I discussed the, uh, where all this starts. I mean, the, the, the training that we get when we're in college, when I was at Princeton studying architecture. Is that my fault? <laughs> it's, it's not your, not necessarily your fault. You weren't, you weren't affecting me at that point. Ooh, but there, I when thought we, I was affecting you. When, when we, uh, you know, Half of our half of our professors were either from Argentina or or Britain. We had a couple who drifted in from from Germany. Um, they had no these. They had absolutely no conception of how American cities should or would work. If anybody mentioned the name Frank Lloyd Wright, they were put outside and had to to stay out in a, in a corner in the hall for a, you know for half a semester. You know for 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 saying something really stupid. I mean, if the the whole concept of building around cities that developed in the way the cities were developed was just antithetical to their thinking. You know, we had to change all of that. We had to create <clears throat> buildings and we had to create um, parts of, of the cities which looked like Florence and you know, they looked like Athens and they looked like Miletus. And it, it was, that, was the, that was the job that we had. We had to make our cities look like they, were, they weren't American cities anymore. And that we had to make people live like they weren't Americans wanting to live and you know, grill and have a car and do all this stuff. Now, I, I did one, one project, I had a professor, his name was Gunter Nitschke, he was German. Um, and he gave us a job, he gave us a, a project to design row housing. That means row housing. And, and um, so I, I, I did my row housing thing. So we had to stand up and we had, we had a critique and he, he looked at this and he says, he said, where's the garage? Where's the driveway? And I said, there isn't any, there isn't any garage. There's no driveway. Everybody, when, when we build this, everybody's going to have their own little helicopter. So you can see on the top of the, of the, of the building, there's a, there's a, there's a helicopter port. I mean, he looked at me like, you know, what, do you, what grade do you think you're going to get in this course? 
<laughs> that was the end of the story. I mean, I was finished. On to the next one. You know, if you question the, the the whole concept of how things worked, you were just thrown out. So, and we had we had a couple of students in my in my class who were de dedicated right writers, and they they were just punished. They were pummeled every time they got you know they showed something that it was like, come on, this is this isn't the way we do things here. Wow. You're, you're you, on mute you again. were so ahead on these vertical takeoff and landing proposals. <laughs> yeah, right. Oh, I was just playing a smart ass, I guess. My goodness, you know, the, the smart cities concepts. I mean, have you, it's, you look at those things. I mean, they're like, what? What? Really? That's the way we want our cities to live. Maybe, maybe that's because, you know, that's what they're building in China. I don't know what the heck. Maybe, but my goodness. And, and I think, you know, Jim Hughes just put out, um, you know, uh, former dean of, of Blaustein School at, at, at Rutgers just put out, you know, demographics of, of New Jersey, the latest reports, you know, it seems as if people thought there are suggesting that young people want to be in those kinds of cities. Apparently not. Apparently not. And no. so, you know, um, I, I don't know. It's sure if we if we define the land use and force everybody to you know, into that land use, we can make very efficient trans transportation systems and we can put subways and we can put buses and bus rapid transit and so on work. I don't know. It doesn't seem to me to be the way the marketplace is working. Okay. And at some point, I guess, you know, some of this can be, you know, shoved down our throat at other, you know, in other times, you know, the consumer stands up and say, no, I'm getting a place down here in Mays Landing. Thank you. See you guys. <laughs> if, if, we, if we continue to try to push people into places where they don't want to live, they're not, they're not going to live there and they're not going to want to live there. And we, we've had all kinds of experiments in, in mostly with people who couldn't afford to make the choice. Yeah. They made the choice. <clears throat> they decided they didn't want to live in, in Pruitt Igo. They yeah, decided they didn't want to live in, in, in places that were dreamt up by the Corbusiers and the and the and other you know radiant cityists who said, you know, this is the way people should live. Maybe that's the way people could live and will want to live. But it's as it turns out, it certainly isn't. It's not the model that, that Sweden has followed. Sweden has followed a very similar approach after Stockholm and a few in Gothenburg, a very similar approach to the way America has developed. Most people live in single family houses. And if they can make a choice, it's a single family house far away from everyone else. And even if you go to Britain, and if, if you go outside of the, of the, the major cities in, in France, you find the same thing. So. I think we, we need to, to get people to start moving away from the, this dream idea, which now seems to have been taken to the absolute total extreme in Saudi Arabia with a 150 kilometer linear city where everybody's going to live in a, in a line so that you can have high, high speed rail connecting one end to the other. In fact, that, that, that's not a new idea. It was proposed by a couple of Princeton <laughs> architects back just before I arrived there, from Boston down to Washington, it was the you know the, the it was the line, and you know who they were. 
you know, Peter yeah. Eisenman and Mike, <laughs> Michael Graves. Yeah. <laughs> Lovely people. Yeah. I like, yeah. I like yeah. them a lot. No, yeah. May they rest they in peace. They influence you know, my thinking. No, I, yeah. And, and yeah, I think, again, it, we can complain about the car and we can do a lot of complaints about it. And it might be nice to be able to walk to everything that, that you need to go get or, you know, just bicycle. Uh, but uh, given the number of people that we're dealing with and given the availability of land, at least still reasonable land here in the U.S. of A., <clears throat> it seems as if <clears throat> you just look at where, where the construction's going. You look at what, what, what's happening in Texas. People are just like moving everywhere and it, they're not moving in a linear city and concentrated so that you can run a whatever. Somebody wants, you know, somebody wants a contract to build a high-speed rail line. Yeah. Or they, you know, they want to build the purple line, the purple line in, in, in Maryland. I mean, come on. Are you really? Okay. I mean, <laughs> it's just a bunch of people who, 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 who want, want a paycheck. It's not to really provide mobility for anybody. The ridership on these systems is, oh, oh my goodness. And somehow, you know, we've, we've sort of suggested that, you know, these are really poor people that want to run the, ride this thing. And therefore, we should provide some subsidy for them and build that for them. But when you look at it, I mean, it doesn't, doesn't provide mobility for where they might want to come and come from and go to. No, no. You know, which, is what the, which is what the moves concept focuses on. Uh, yeah, I know. And I, exactly. I just don't want to sell the moves concept. This is just a general you know, feeling about about that. And I think to me, why, why do I keep uh, talking about this is I think the opportunity with automation is you can provide an auto like level of service, a vehicle waiting around to serve people and an opportunity to take them from almost anywhere where they are to almost anywhere where they want to go, you know, much like my car does for really little money. Yep. Okay. Because the only, the only reason the car works for me or the only reason the car works for you, Fred, or, 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 or you, Michael, is because you do it for yourself, it's a do-it-yourself. It's it's a Home Depot problem, okay? You're like providing it, the mobility for yourself. We, we like to call it, it's the IKEA solution. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I, I know. Well, we're home to pot here, so uh, <laughs> yeah. excuse me. Uh, but yeah, no, so yeah, sure, okay? And somehow, you know, the whole process, because the folks have been behind, we, we think that it, this if you do this one for yourself i mean you really you almost feel good it's, it's not only doing it for yourself but you're getting enjoyment out of it too i mean I, I, the amount of enjoyment i'm getting in driving my own car these days is waning now maybe when i was 16 of course and maybe many years in between but i guess right now it seems to be more of a pain in the butt than anything else and, and my goodness, if we had to pay ourselves to do these things, we couldn't afford, many of us wouldn't afford it, couldn't afford it, okay? But since we're doing it for ourselves, great. Well, what, 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 the, what the driverless systems allow then is allow that same, do it for yourself, because of course the thought is, which the theory may be wrong on this, is this with any kind of scale, 
that automated system, its cost goes to zero, okay? And when it sits around and waits for you, it doesn't sit there and need to go to the bathroom or you know take a vacation or be fed or sleep. It just sits there and waits, again, like a little puppy dog, just waiting to provide a service and not caring if you're late, early, or indifferent. I don't know. And the interesting thing is in, in New Jersey, at least where we've been talking about it initially in, in Trenton, that we're seeing other communities springing up really wanting to get in on this. They yeah, love the idea. I, I don't know. It seems that they certainly like the idea. They don't, they don't want a, a shuttle circulating, you know, who knows what on the schedule. They think it's, I don't know. <laughs> but again, maybe... You know, I'm enormously biased, so maybe I'm not seeing it well. But but we have we have real interests here, and it just shocks me that that nobody in the industry says, "Hey, you know, maybe there's a market for this in New Jersey." All right, no, we're not Abu Dhabi. Okay, no, we're not. You know, who knows what laden with money just to give you for a toy. No, we don't just have, you know, um, uh, an expense account that we can just appropriate to this to take us. And so that I can take a selfie of myself as I'm going to Newark Airport and and send it to my wife. Look, hey, look, Elizabeth. I mean, you know, and, and people, at least that's what I'm, I don't know. Again, people are getting tired of me saying it, but it's what I see. Well, we will be back, but this is a good time to remind you about our sponsor, the Smart ETFs, Smart Transportation and Technology ETF, symbol MOTO. To get more info, you can go to MOTOETF.com. On the website, look for the white paper called the Smart Transportation Revolution. It's under the Insights and News tab. Some great information there to help you make informed decisions about investing. ETFs, as you probably know, can be a, a good way to spread risk with investments. Maybe focus on a particular category of stocks. The website, again, is MOTOETF.com. We are back with more of Smart Driving Cars and our guest, Michael Senna. Michael, there were some other topics you covered in the latest dispatcher. One, you take a look at the U.S. Supreme Court, uh, the overturning of Roe v. Wade, the New York State's handgun carry regulations, the ruling that the EPA does not have the authority to set national energy policy regulating carbon emissions. And, and you're pointing out, I think, if I'm reading it right, that the court has put the issues in the hands of Congress and the president here. Well, it's, it's where they should have been in the first place. I mean, this, the, the, the more we see of, of how the, the, the Congress, the president, uh, the, the executive and the, and the, and the judicial the congressional um, branches of government uh, are functioning. I mean, the, if there's one thing that's happened during these last, let's say, almost six years now, is that, that they've highlighted where the dysfunction exists in the United States in uh, governmental system. One of the things that, that has been overused almost from the start, it didn't, it's, it's nothing new, uh, George Washington had the had the possibility of delivering executive orders, and they've been used over the course of the of the uh, history of the of the United States. And and basically, what they do is that they 
allow the president or the executive branch to bypass the Congress. And this is what was done with the establishment of the Environmental Protection, Protection Agency. There were laws that were passed. Those laws were interpreted as being um, applying to whatever the, the, the EPA would be doing. But as time went on, the EPA has, has taken more and more authority. And what the Supreme Court has done is said, you have, you have taken more authority than the laws that are on the books gave you. And so we're going to take that away. Now, if, if you as, a, as a, an authority or you as, a, as an organization that have been, that's been set up by the executive branch want to continue what you're doing, you're going to have to do it at the will of the Congress, not at the will of the president. And what I've said, what I say in the article is, I, I believe the EPA has outlived its usefulness. It should be more than it is. It shouldn't just be something that's, that's existing and, and, and running around and you know, flying underneath the radar and doing as much as it possibly can do without having the, the legal responsibility and authority to do that. There's the EPA or the, what the agency has become should be at a cabinet level. There should be a, a secretary. It could be part of another another um, oh, ministry. It could be part of another department, or it could be on its own. But there should be a group of people who are responsible for the environment. And right now, it's it's spread around and it's not doing what it's supposed to be doing in any way. So the, the point of the article, and I think I've, I've mentioned this in, in a number of other articles, we have, to be, we have to look at what's going on behind the scenes. We have to look at the backstory and the backstory of what's going on in the environment, which is a, has an enormous impact on the, on the automobile industry, is what's going on in the, in the Federal Trade Commission, what's going on in the Securities Exchange Commission, what's going on in the, in the EPA, and a lot of these agencies that are not you know, mandated um, by, um, by laws. So I, I think, it, I, think I, I, I think it was a very good thing that, that the Supreme Court did what it did on this particular subject. And I think it's now incumbent on both the, the president and the Congress to do something about it. You know, to do finally do the right thing. It's been going on for 50 years now. So your point might be that it is not anti-environment as long as the legislative bodies and, and the president pick up the ball. It's not, this is not an anti, anti any, anything. This is, look, this is the way we interpret the law. The law, this is what we do. This is what, this is what the Supreme Court, as I said in the, 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 uh, the title, the Supreme Court doesn't make laws. <clears throat> It shouldn't make laws, but it's been doing that. Roe versus Wade was the Supreme Court essentially making a law. The Congress never, never did anything about it. And, and the other interpretations of you know, what is the law, where is the law? Now we're pointing back to, to a specific law or we're pointing back to, to what the constitution has said. There's nothing in the constitution about any of this stuff. It's all been, you know, we think this is what they, we could have possibly believed, but we're not really sure. So. In the old days, when, when the, the, the court was progressive, because it was filled by presidents who wanted progressive justices, it interpreted things 
one way and we got Roe versus Wade. Now, after a couple of years with somebody, some other guy, you know, the, the last, the last POTUS, um, they're interpreting in another way. And it's not, this is not necessarily right or wrong. It's just the way it is. And the interpretations that they're making are, have resulted in, in these, these rulings. And one of those rulings is on the, on the EPA. Well, another topic that you dive into is what's going on at Volkswagen. <laughs> they have a, yeah. they're ousting the CEO and uh, you, you take a look at some of the story behind it. Yeah, I, I, I have, um, I have, I've said oftentimes in, in discussing Volkswagen, Volkswagen moved very, very quickly into electrification. And I, I'm, convinced that the reason they did, they did that was to try to to deflect all of the um, the arrows that were being aimed at them and many of them being shot at them uh, as a result of their stupidity and the, with the uh, diesel diesel uh, emissions diesel gate diesel gate um, so you know deflect let's you know, we're going to do we're going to do electric and they <clears throat> they quickly put in Deese and uh, look, he, he came from another, another company. He was, he's Austrian. He's not German. He came from BMW, a competitor to a certain extent, although they don't necessarily see themselves. Audi sees BMW as a competitor, but not VW. Um, so he was always, a, always could be the scapegoat. And it just got to the point where his, his, the way that he was dealing with things was definitely not the German way. And it was, I guess they finally <coughs> understood that he didn't have the support of the unions. He didn't have the support of the, of the many of the people working in the company. And finally he lost the support of the, of the uh, families that own the majority of the shares. So he's out, but you know, this is, this is probably not going to make much of a difference. You know, they they continue to do with what they've been doing. And I, I think the main thing that, that, um, I, the next focus is going to be on the, the, the reason that they that, that they they said he's got to go now because it's it was their software development group that they spent a lot of time and a lot of money to build to say that we're going to do all of this in house we're not going to depend on outside sources because that's the way Tesla does it you know, we're gonna we're gonna do all of this in house and I, I believe that's the, the correct way to do it but I've also seen how bad that can the worst that, that that can possibly happen happens when you've got it all in house because you can't throw them out <clears throat> and you're stuck. You can't just go from one to the other and say, you know, fix this, bring in a new group of people. Although Volvo to a certain extent had to do that and, it, and they had to do it very, very quickly. Um, but I, I think that's where, the, that's where most of this started with the Cariad um, development group, IT development group. So, so Michael, on, on that one, if, if, why is it that software in the auto industry uh, can't be delivered by the, um, by the suppliers? I mean, they get everything else from suppliers. They get their tire, their tier one suppliers, they get their tires, their headlights, their, 
their leather, their, their, you know, their transmit, I don't know, transmissions, their, their struts, their, you know, all the other things they get from the so-called tier ones and then tier twos. What's what's happening on what's happening on the on the chipset level, the 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 software level? Is there a difference here? Yeah, there you is. Know, uh, over, uh, you know, yeah, chip chipset to a certain extent, we can we can bring this in the the chip design. We can bring that in as well, but the you have to go back to the to the nineties, the early nineties mid 90s when the car companies were told by the by the uh, by the consultants you've got to you've got to focus on your core business and they convinced the car companies that their core business was not even assembling cars i was going to say assembling cars yeah. but go ahead not but, even no, assembling not, cars not even assembling what, cars what is the I, core business then and this this is the problem yeah. They, nobody could, nobody could explain to the people who are outside the car industry that everything that they were doing was core business and nobody inside the, the car industries were capable of, of understanding what their core business was once they outsourced everything. You know, they, and, they, and they're all looking around saying, well, you know, we don't own the dealers. We don't own the, except in, in Europe, many of them yeah. do. We don't, you know, we, we don't, we don't make our tires. We don't make our our brake brake pads. We do. and and then in the starting in the around in the nineties and the in the early two thousands, more and more of the functions of the car were handed over to software, and the, the car companies didn't have software development. Did, did, did that come? Out, did did that come out of the Japanese model, the Toyota model, the no. what? No, I mean, no. you know, no. where where did the, that the Japanese come from? Were, the Japanese were really late to the party when it came to software and still are behind the eight ball in many ways. Um, the, the car companies, principally BMW, Mercedes, to a certain extent, Volvo, but principally BMW and Mercedes began to work very closely with their, their uh, tier one companies because they saw more and more of the functions that were going into the cars as being software dependent. They did not have software. They didn't have software groups. Remember that Ford and 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 Delphi, Ford and and um, General Motors, as well as as um, Volkswagen, had taken their first their electronics group and outsourced them or pushed push them out to the Delphi's of this world. Yeah, or... exactly. <laughs> and those those companies weren't weren't uh, software developers either. So that that anyone that potentially had the, the, the possibility of doing this were, were outside. Delphi was a very good example because when, when General Motors developed OnStar, they had to, they, they depended on their old, you know, Delphi group to, to develop the, uh, the software with, for them as, as well as, uh, uh, yeah, one of, one of the well, IT developers. Not, not, not to interrupt you, but going back to the electrical systems <coughs> used to be really tough especially for for the the british companies i mean you know i i had an austin healy 3000 
loved the car. I was under it more than I was in it, and and the electrical systems and those things were. Is is that what is that is that what the Delphi's really succeeded in doing? And when they when they did the electrical systems or whatever, then they basically took over or what or no, is that just my uh, personal whatever no <laughs> the whole thing with with english with english cars is you know we, we could spend hours just talking about it <laughs> yeah. i owned a ford cortina and it was you know i went through i don't know how many batteries i went through at the, at the sears yeah, but, but the sayab the sayab had its own problem the sob i called it yeah. sayab but uh, yeah. go ahead i, I didn't love, have any love sobs yeah. <laughs> no, the, the, the car companies did not have the, the just when they began to outsource everything they the it input became more important right so they 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 had no choice at that point but to find people find companies that could provide this for them the problem with that is if you've got an it company that's doing your development work and they're doing the same development work for someone else you essentially you've taken your core capabilities put it in the hands of someone else who will then use the same you know the, the <laughs> same heads to provide it for others and and you just can't do that you're you're competing you have to be competing on something henry more, ford would henry ford would have never, never done, done that, that. right and, I mean, and, yeah. and, and of course and, and and neither did and neither has Tesla. So everyone now that's been looking at this and seeing, well, you know, Tesla's selling a lot of cars. They're selling a hell of a lot more cars than, than we Volvo or we Jaguar or we lots of other companies. Uh, and, and it's vertically integrated. We should be doing the same thing. But having people to manage that, having people yeah. who, who understand how this works and manage it is extremely difficult. So these didn't like the way things were being managed by the head of the, uh, the Audi group. And he says, well, I mean, I'm, I'm much better at managing things. So I'm going to manage this himself. And so he got himself in a, in a you know, big pile of doo-doo because right then it all blew up. The, he, there's, they were late, you know, Bentley's not delivering the car that they were supposed to be delivering. So it's, it's this is not a, it's not a slam dunk. And, and unfortunately the car companies continue to make the same mistakes. I, I where, saw it firsthand. Where, where do you see then the, the companies Intel Mobileye and NVIDIA? I mean, they've stepped up here and are providing a lot of the technology, are, are they not to, to various companies? Yeah. I, Intel Mobileye there. I, I don't, NVIDIA is a good example of a company that has is capable of providing a foundation for an onboard system. <clears throat> Whether companies are going to allow them to to take over the management of all of the systems with their with a with a, a you know single function or or a single operating computer that controls everything in the vehicle, the way the Tesla computer controls everything in the vehicle is is something that's that's still questionable i mean i don't if i were volvo if i were for were audi or i certainly wouldn't want to have a company with that that capability just like i don't i wouldn't want to have google running all of my 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 infotainment and, and navigation system operating systems i wouldn't want to do that i want i would want as a car company to do that myself but if i make that decision i can't make it in isolation, I have to look at the entire company. What am I doing with everything? 
and this is a, this is really difficult for, for companies to do, especially companies like General Motors and Ford, who've been in the business of making cars for a long time, to, to be able to make this transition. It's it's really it's it's difficult for them because they had a their business model, especially you know in the eighties and in the nineties, and you know when when all the you know, software stuff was really starting to go. I mean, really get big. Their business model was completely different than than what the than what the 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 software entities, the 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 Moore's Law folks were doing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the, the simple um, illustration that I present is that, that for years we had we had at Princeton we had General Motors uh, providing uh, full rides to at least a couple of students per year as long as they went and did uh, summer internships at General Motors and the reason why they you know they were doing that I think don't whatever I may have it wrong was because they wanted to hire these folks when they came out of Princeton Okay, they wanted to be first in line. This is this is what uh, what I called uh, goldmine sucks does all the time, and 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 J.P. Morgan and so on. They give they give all my students summer internships, and then they put golden handcuffs on them. And guess what? Those golden handcuffs go and and they go to work for those folks, or they go to work for Nvidia, or they go to go go to work for for Intel and so on. Or, or whatever. <laughs> and what, what happened was that the students went out to General Motors and spent their interns and, and came back to Princeton. They took those handcuffs off immediately. Essentially, none of them went, went to work for General Motors. Okay, so in some sense, why? Because, because the the compensation part, the, 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 it, it was thought to be, you know, you have to be there 20 years before you get to do something serious. I mean, the, the, the whole, the whole um, employment process. Now this goes back 30 years, 35, maybe I'm, you know, too old, whatever. I'm not so, I'm not so sure they've necessarily changed that there. You know, it doesn't seem to be where at least, Many of my students want to go work. Well, let's let's talk about GM since we've yeah. opened the, the yeah. can. Well, maybe of maybe here. Michael wants to provide a comment on that one. I don't know. No, but, I, uh, yeah. I, I don't. Uh, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Well, this week GM said that it lost five hundred million dollars on cruise during the second quarter, over five million dollars a day uh, during the first six months of this year. The losses came to nine hundred million dollars, hundred million shy of a billion. But CEO Mary Barra is saying that she is still bullish and reaffirmed a forecast that this unit could generate $50 billion a year from automated vehicle services and technology by 2030. And I know I've seen some emails flying back and forth, Alan, uh, you and, and many others have some eyebrows raised over this. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's a, it's a reality that's that's put out there. I don't I don't want to say, you know, GM lost, you know, uh, five million dollars a day. GM has a has a has a an entity that is spending five million bucks a day. 
Okay, I think that that's what they're spending because, because of course, they haven't provided a balance sheet for that entity, so one can't see the revenue side. That the the five million dollars a day is a net minus expenditure, but I think that the revenue side is zero. They're okay. charging a few so, people for rides, I think now. So, but, yeah, yeah, but that's yeah, it's zero. It's not. not it's, it's, I don't know. Somebody will correct me. It, it, and and of course, you know, in a sense, this is what this is what startups and so on are all about. They're not about getting revenue. They're about creating something that will eventually generate revenue. Okay, so you know, nothing against the model, really. Although, although whew, it's never been my theory on all this stuff, I, and 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 so. But if you then say that by 2030 you're going to end up with a with a positive number out there, you're still going to have expenses. Even if you take your expenses to zero, you can't get to the positive one until you have revenue. And it doesn't seem to me that they're they've started focusing on a revenue model. Yes, you know Adam Jonas has put it out there, among others. You know how you know providing mobility is uh, is a trillion dollar business. You know, and of course I I believe I, I support what what Adam and others have put out. You know, people are willing to probably pay a buck a ride now that we've had inflation. Maybe it's ten bucks a ride. I don't know how much inflation's been, but yeah, a, you know, a, a buck a mile. And you look at the number of miles people go, and so on. This is this kind of what people pay. I mean, this is what we sort of pay, although we don't realize it, okay, because everybody wants to make sure that, that of course, the perception is, my goodness, you, you don't want to put that in people's faces. But if you want to tap that, you have to get to a point in which you're focused on revenue, building a business out of mobility. Now, maybe, maybe the value comes in that all the developments by crews end up being in your electric Hummer. I mean, really, we're going to electric vehicles that look like a tank. But anyway, never mind. I don't want to get to the Hummer thing. Uh, but, but you know, and, and all these things will, will sell Hummers. And therefore, you know, crews will deserve some of the revenue attributions associated with selling Hummers. I don't know. I mean, it's maybe. Well 20, 20, 30 is pretty, pretty close. I mean, what, 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 look, I mean, what are we? We're, we're 20, 22 and a half. Yeah. 2030 happens in six and a half. Right. Because, you know, it starts then. I don't know if we want to go to the whole end, whatever, however you want to count. Okay. But it's, it's, you know, less than two handfuls. And sure. Yes. You know, I, I believe in J curves. Okay, I believe in them, but you end up needing, uh, you know, exponent, exponential coefficients on those J curves that look like who pretty soon. And, and we've been in this, you know, we've been in this business since, you know, 2005, give or take whatever we want to take as as um, as DARPA challenges 
or 2009 when you know Google decided to you know really go into it. So you know we've been in this 13 years plus 15. There should be some revenue. There should be some revenue. Yes, there is some revenue. People are buying into intelligent cruise control and, and maybe automated emergency braking systems that work, that, that are provided by whom? I guess the, the, the tier one suppliers, I guess GM's developing itself, but that, I think that's, a, you know, super cruise, I think is a separate from cruise. The, the, the whole advanced driver assistance systems is, it's been going on for the last 20 years. There are yeah. companies that are doing this. The, all of the companies from GM and Ford to, to everyone. I met, and, I, met yeah, them, yeah. I met them all two, a couple of weeks ago in Brussels, you know, their 20th anniversary of the Adasis forum. They're doing fine. Yeah. This, is not, this cruise is not part of this group. Right. Neither, is, neither is Argo, neither is Zooks, neither, you know, none of these companies are part of this. They, they all decided that they were going to do something that was completely different, completely separate. They were going to develop a car that drove itself. Instead of starting, <coughs> this, this, is what, this is what has baffled me from the start and continues to. Instead of starting with, we have all of these functions that are working, let's, let's base our systems on these functions. And Tesla is a great example, which means a very, very bad example of <laughs> not, not following and using everything that had been developed over the years and building on it. Nope, let's start from scratch. We're gonna build our own piece of junk and we're gonna let people die using our own piece of junk, which is what they're doing. And I don't want to say that Cruz is doing the same thing because you know Cruz has had a has have had a very rough patch over the last three or four months with <clears throat> cars stopping in the middle of the road and cars banging into other cars and so on. But this this isn't this really isn't a discussion about Cruz. This is a discussion about General Motors, and in the end, it's a discussion about the CEO of General Motors and the board of directors of, of General Motors. What in God's name are these people doing? What you know, Mary Barra, you know, shows up like she's with, with her, with her, you know, her leather coat, looking like she's, you know, one of the gang, one of the one of the Facebook um, alphabet. You know, I'm part of this this business, and General Motors. It's not General Motors isn't in that business. General Motors goes out of business if it stops selling cars. It's got to sell cars. It's got to produce cars that people want to drive and they're going to produce cars that people want to continue to own and operate. So um, at some point in time, I think the stock over the last year, the stock has halved. It was great for her while the stock was going up, you know, with all of the hype around the stuff that, that, that looked like GM was, was at the top of the curve, not at the bottom. It's not going to continue. <clears throat> somebody's well, got somebody's got to say to General Motors and, and this whole business about running it running a board of directors like it's a it's a like it's a university that has to toe the line on Title IX. Um, you know, it's General Motors needs to have people who are who are competent. Meg Whitman, I guess she did okay in, in, in some ways, but I mean she's she'd be the last person that I would put on the board of a of a company 
that automobile company that needs to be global, that needs to be to be um, working in, a, in an industry. She has absolutely no competence in this area and a number of the other board people. So having having diversity on the board, if that's the only thing that you're you're trying to do, you're not going to stay in business long enough. And the amount of money that they're putting into to cruise, they could stop that tomorrow and put that money into places where they're going to, you know, where they're going to produce better cars, more effective mobility with the with the cars that they have, rather than wasting money on on what Cruise is doing. But Michael, we've been, I think we, certainly me, have been saying that, that there are two businesses here. There's a mobility business and there's a, a sell cars business. And if, you're, if, you're in, in, if your business is to sell cars to me or you or to people, that's a completely different business in some sense than giving a ride to me or to you. It really is. It is. Okay? Of course it, it is. It's, you know, and, 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 and the, the selling of cars, of course, you know, these folks have been in this business. That business case has been around for 100 plus years. Yeah. And they do it very well. And they've done it very effectively. And look, the market has responded. We've all, every one of us that could afford one of these things, essentially every one of us that could afford it, one of these things, has bought in on it and bought it and life like, like it and so on. It's a whole different business if now you're going to look at giving people rides and asking for money in return. Yeah, and if you look uh, at what, what, if you look at what BMW and, and Mercedes have gone through, you know, they went through this idea that we're going to be a mobility business. We're in the yeah. mobility business. Yeah. And they started these, these car sharing and all kinds of things. And where are they today? Well, yeah. where, have, where have those gone? <laughs> nowhere. So nowhere. They've, they've sold them all. Yeah, yeah, they've they've all disappeared. They're all who knows what. They're all struggling and so on, and so forth. It has it hasn't worked. You know, I think I think there is a business for somebody to deliver mobility. There is a taxi service. There is a public transportation service. There is a service to deliver mobility. But I think the only the only way you can do that and survive is to look at the labor cost of the way it's been done and decide that, hey, I'm going to replace that labor with computers. And if that causes problems, it causes problems we're going to solve. But there there is no way to do it with paying a labor cost. Uber and Lyft can't do it. They can't. They can't. Otherwise, they would they would be so successful now. They, they can't charge enough to give a living wage to a sufficient number of people to do that, except for in the places like, you know, Elizabeth and I went to the AV conference in, 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 um, in Anaheim or next to Anaheim. I don't even know, Garden City or whatever they call it. You know, we had to get from LAX to, our, to the hotel, okay? <laughs> Uber uh, um, uh, quote at the airport at LAX, 75 bucks. Hey, you know, I'm on an expense account. What do I care? By the time we walk over to the place to get into the Uber car, it was a hundred and a half. Of course we got in. What do I care? I'm not paying for it. 
Of course I care, but I really don't care. Okay. If I had to pay the hundred and a half out of my pocket, I would walk probably. I mean, I'm such a cheap guy. I mean, it, you know, so sure there exist pockets of mobility that you can offer to those who, you know, for which price doesn't matter. For most other folks, if you really want to build a business out of this, if you really want some 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 volume, price matters. Yeah, of course. and 150 bucks? Are you joking? Now on the way back, because we got we got an Uber from from the hotel to Elizabeth's father's house in 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 Brentwood, is even farther than going back. Because we weren't dealing with airports and so on, that thing was priced at like 63 bucks. All right, now you know, I guess, and that poor guy who who drove us, you know, I guess he didn't get as much for that ride than the than the guy who took us from the from the airport. He's got to get some airport rides in order to make enough to feed his family. And this yep. is, you know, this is, you know, to run a marketplace like that. Why don't you look at at the largest cost? of doing that, which is the cost of the driver, not that we don't want to employ people and pay them high, high salaries so that they can feed their families. Well, let them do, they're going to have to do something else. Okay. You know, we, we have very few toll takers on the, on the New Jersey turnpike anymore. There's one. Yeah, there's one. Okay. Yeah. I, I found, very, I found her. You found her. Yeah. yeah. There used to be tons of them. We used to have to wait in line to give money to 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 New Jersey Turnpike Commission. What yeah. kind of business do you make your customers wait in line to give you money? I mean, fundamental, you know, lemonade stand 101 tells you, you know, <laughs> don't do that. OK, that's not good service. Sorry. I don't know. Maybe yeah. maybe I just need to teach a course on lemonade. No, we, we started talking about cruise and we got into the to general yeah. motors and then we got, we got over to, to, you know, running a taxi business. There are, there's not a single car company, car manufacturing company that's in the taxi business. It probably there's, should be. Well, that's why they're not in the taxi business. Yeah, right. they, shouldn't. They, they decided that. that yeah. well, isn't, isn't that what they're talking about with the robo taxis though? Exactly. They're talking about yeah. They're or? all there. Everybody who's the crew, what, what, what these companies are talking about becoming mobility, mobility as a service company, General Motors, Mercedes, BMW, all of these companies saying, you know, we are now mobility providers are essentially saying we're going to be in the, in the taxi business. Now, they've never been in the taxi business, but now they're going to be in the taxi business because this is where they believe they're going to, the money is going to be made. In the end, the car companies are going to make money by selling cars. And if anybody, if anyone is taught that lesson that was, was learned a hundred years ago, it's been the musketeer. You make money by selling more cars. You don't sell cars. Your stock doesn't go up. I don't get to go to Mars and do all the other stuff that I do. Cause I've got, got lots of money. And we've been reading a lot about that as well. Um, you know, get real. If you want to, you want to keep your job, start, 
making better cars, start selling more cars, start competing on the basis of having good cars that people want to buy. Otherwise, all of this business about diversity of the board of directors and sustainability and <clears throat> all of that crap, it's just not going to cut it. So my advice to, to, to Mrs. Barra is don't, don't wind up like Mr. Deese. But there is a market for so-called robo-taxi service. I don't know there providers. is. I don't know that there's a market for robo-taxis. I know I, I'm absolutely certain that there's a market for a shuttle service that can provide rides for people who don't have their own cars. Well, that, that I guess it's, it's that's, I yeah. guess what I'm well, trying to say. I, I guess a, a I guess, market for that kind of transportation. In my looking at it, and of course I am so biased, nobody should pay any attention to me, but I am, am my looking at mobility of people in Trenton, who, who would take this? Okay. I think 80% of the kids who live more than a half mile away from their school. Okay. If the price is right. All right. Almost anybody that's living in Trenton, that's commuting to Manhattan, that's commuting to Newark, or that's commuting to, you know, within walk access of any of the rail stations, the many rail stations that are direct connection from the, from the Trenton Transit Center, which includes the, the river line. And if you look at the, the, the work patterns of people that live in Trenton, you know, there are a number of those folks. Why? Because unless they can walk to the Trenton train station, they have to take their car and park it there. The parking ends up costing you something. And that parking ends up really being a whole heck of a lot more than what it would cost you to provide the mobility, if the software worked, to and from the station. Yeah, and to make I, sure that that mobility is available to you when you want to go and when you want to return. So it meets every train at the train, train station. Yeah. There are 4,000 such people that live in Trenton. That's 8,000 person trips a day market potential. Are you telling me that, 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 that having an elevator-like service to and from their, their neighborhoods to the Trenton train station you aren't going to pick up 50% of them. Cut it out. They're not idiots. So let me throw out then for, for both of you. Why shouldn't it be a, a cruise, a GM cruise, providing that service if it can be profitable? Well, I think so, but they don't pay any attention to us. They want to they go you know, take people from downtown Phoenix to Phoenix International Airport. And, 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 and charge them who knows what because they're on an expense account. Okay, great. How many of those folks are there? Great. I don't think, I don't think you can be profitable doing that. I certainly don't think that you can, you can return uh, to your investors what they expect to have as a return. And I don't think you get to $50 billion or whatever the number that that Mary said in in you know 2030 by neither, doing that neither Cruise nor General Motors are in the business of providing rides to people 
in places like Trenton or Scranton or Patterson, New Jersey, or any place else. Cruz is in the business of developing a software stack and hardware concept, not even a production model, but a hardware concept that can be used by someone to produce vehicles that can, can do that job. They're, they're the tool maker, but they're not, the, they're not the, the manufacturer. They're not the, they're not the craftsman who's going to use the tool. They're not the company who's going to put the tools in place and, and produce product that they're going to sell. It's not their business. Neither GM nor crews are in that business. That's, I mean, that's the answer. That's my answer. I would like to, to find one that, who is in that business. You well, know, Baidu, anybody... Baidu last week announced that they're going to make a vehicle that is whatever for 37,000 bucks. Now, I, you know, I, I can't imagine how Did much. Did they call you yet, Alan? No. I mean, I said, <laughs> call me. Call me. Okay. All right. I can, I can write a check for, for, for 100 of those suckers. Okay. All right. And and if the darn thing works, I can make that work in Trenton. And I think I can become rich guy. So I'll buy the next thousand, the next 10,000, the next hundred thousand that, that I put throughout New Jersey. Am I going to put 10 million in New Jersey? No, because I don't need 10 million. Okay. Probably just need a couple hundred thousand or a couple hundred thousand. Yeah. Probably get, you know, I don't know, serve, I don't know, fifth, five million person trips a day, make a buck off each one, make a buck off each one, make a buck after expenses. I don't know. I get it. I, I, I get a golf stream out of that. Uh, it's going to be a lot of work, but I, I, I just think that's doable. None of these, I, I, none of them have ever published a revenue model that I've seen. Hey, please, I hope, hey, send me one. I'd like to look at it. Well, Uber had produced uh, a lot of paper, including revenue, revenue model itself. Yeah, but it was all assuming that they would have an automated vehicle and they weren't paying paying uh, gig workers. Yeah. You, how can you run a company with gig workers? How can you manage those cats? I mean, that managing cat, it's tough enough managing employees. Managing gig workers, what kind of carrots do you have to hang out there in front of them? to make them do what you want to do. Yeah. The whole advantage of doing it with a computer is that I or my students, or my, we can write code and the computer says, yeah, I'll do it. That's the only reason this makes sense. Otherwise, oh my goodness, what do you have to do just to be able to deal with the diversity issue? There's no diversity issue in dealing with a computer, at least one hasn't thought of one yet. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. And it's not that I don't, I don't want, I want people to have jobs. I want to create employment. I want people to feed their families. But, you know, as toll takers on the New Jersey Turnpike, no. As drivers for empty buses, no. I don't know. 
Oh man, yep. <laughs> all the so, all the people that are kind of now. Oh well, terrific discussion once again, Michael. We want to thank you for for spending the time with us once again. Uh, Pleasure. The Always. Web, <laughs> the website is michaellsenna.com. That's where you're going to find the dispatcher. Sign up, read it. You won't be sorry. Thank you also to our sponsor, the Smart ETFs, Smart Transportation and Technology ETF. The ticker symbol for the ETF is MOTO, and more info is available at MOTOETF.com. Technical support is provided by CARTS, the Corporation for Automated Road Transportation Safety, a 501c3 nonprofit dedicated to safe and high-quality mobility for all. You can find us at SmartDrivingCar.com, on Anchor FM, Spotify, TuneIn, Apple, Google, Spreaker, wherever you turn to for podcasts. You can ask your smart speaker to play us too, if you've got one. You can find my tech reports at textination.com. I'm Fred Fishkin, along with Alan Kornhauser. Thanks for listening or watching. Please continue to stay safe. And thank you. And, and we apologize for, for bombarding everyone. Um, th this is not easy. Uh, this is not easy, and this is not easy, and we've made enormous progress technologically. We've got to make enormous project progress sociologically, and of course, we have to make a business out of it, because if, if it isn't a business, then, then, you know, there won't be any lemonade for any of us to consume at any lemonade stands. I mean, it's just, and so, um, anyway. That's what we're trying to do, stimulate a discussion, um, trying to make it happen.